today's reading is Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 to 34. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moth and rust do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more important than food, and the body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. This is God's word. Our Father, you're a good God who gives us the uh, the guidance we need, the words we need, and the manner we need them. And so as we come to, uh, I guess, a fairly blunt uh, passage, words of the Lord Jesus Christ, would we hear them as we need to? Uh, would we be those who are not hard-hearted, uh, nor those burdened by guilt, but uh, where appropriate, would we be challenged and repent and change, so we're shaped more like our great God and Saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Uh, so just the beginning of the year, a few topical talks um, on hope. Seems quite good at the beginning of the year. So if you were here last week, uh, uh, hope in trials. What difference does it make? Uh, the hope of eternity when you're enduring uh, hardships here and now in life. Terrific stuff. Uh, Andy Mason preaching on that. Uh, and so this week we're just thinking a little bit about money and how hope in eternity uh, affects how we uh, use our money or view money uh, here and now. Which means we have to uh, encounter what I... Uh, upon just a little bit of reflection, worked out has got to be the most prevalent sin within our church, which is greed. That's quite a strong statement. But if you had to choose something that was the most prevalent sin, what else would it be? There's a young congregation here at uh, 7 o'clock, um, uh, mostly, and so you could easily, well, it's probably sexual immorality, isn't it? Everyone's still making mistakes and getting things wrong and, and doing things. Yeah, yeah, but in that arena, there lots of people do make mistakes and get things wrong and, and sin, but they're battling and struggling with it. 
Whereas in the whole real realm of materialism or greed, I don't know there's much of a battle. Uh, during my uh, time as a minister, I've had people confess all sorts of things to me, a whole, certainly a whole gamut and range of sexual sins, but also just, I mean, most things you can think of. I did have murder confessed to me once, but he was in prison, it had all been sorted out, so it's not quite the same. But um, no one has ever confessed to me they've got a problem with greed. Ever. Not one. Which suggests to me that there's a lack of battle going on there. Jesus talks of money as much as anything, really, he speaks of. And the warnings against greed are strong. So in Luke 12, watch out against greed. In 1 Timothy 6, flee greed. In Colossians 3, put to death greed. There is not a lot of nuance in the New Testament when it comes to money and how hard a grip it can get on us and how you've got to watch out or you'll, or you'll adore it and worship it more than you will the Lord. And yet no one has ever confessed to me they've got a problem with it. That's a problem, I'd suggest. So not just our church, Christ church. I would imagine overwhelmingly it is the dominant sin in most churches in this city. Where the gap between what the Bible teaches and how we live is at its widest. Greed. Stuff. Materialism. Now why would that be? I was having a little daydream. Why, why, why does it go so wrong in this particular arena? I'm sure there are many reasons that sensible, clever people would come up with. I could only come up with three. Uh, one... Greed is the God of our culture. And so, of course, we're influenced by it. It is the God of our culture around us. So sometimes it's very obviously so. So uh, November the, I forget what, was 28th, was it? Black Friday. Uh, you see the footage of just people going nuts uh, and fighting over things. So uh, in, in Asda, in East London, you had the footage of the people fighting over their tellies and just the woman on the floor, you know, just was holding on to her, th- you know, holding on to, desperately holding on to this 32-inch flat screen and people trying to drag her off it. And you think, have you not got a telly? Yes, but this is a better one. You're fighting over a telly. What are you doing? We're in central London, men having punch-ups in Victoria's Secret. I presume they're buying for their partners or wives or, or spouses. But the one that really got me was, uh, it was at a Tesco's in North London, I think Edmonton. And uh, they'd sold so many electronic goods, they drove, reversed a truck right up into the, the sort of loading bay. And they had uh, a guy on the truck passing to customers, uh, at first it was largely coffee machines, uh, Nespresso type things, like posh coffee machines. And there were a crowd around this truck, the, um, what do you call it, the loading bit. Uh, anyway, it doesn't matter, does it? They're crowding round and just clamouring um, to try to get a, a, a coffee machine. And it was precisely like you see on TV in a famine region where people are clamouring for food. You think, this is nuts. It's nuts. You, you think, yeah, well, some people are a bit silly. Good job I'm not like them. Well, you know what's coming, don't you? Well, maybe not. Uh, I read uh, just before Christmas a, a Keele University study. Uh, apparently two-thirds of adults in the UK admit to committing minor fraud. That is, uh, paying a workman cash to avoid tax, padding an insurance claim, 
um, uh, what else on that list? Uh, are you, um, not fa- failing to declare everything on a tax return form, stealing things, stealing or just taking, removing things uh, over the value of ten pounds from work. Uh, two th- it was sixty sixty three percent, so just short of two thirds of people in the UK said, "Yeah, I've done that. I've I've done something." Uh, which is illegal. The striking thing was of the two and a half thousand people surveyed, uh, of the two thirds who said they'd done something like that, none of them said they were a criminal. So that was a follow-up question. Do you recognize that's a criminal act? No, I'm not a criminal. What, by a legal definition, sorry to be pedantic, yes you are. You've done something illegal, that's called a crime. You're a criminal. No, no I'm not. Why is there such an enormous disconnect there? between what people think of themselves and what they've actually done. Because it's just normal in our culture to accumulate. No one challenges the obsession we have of grabbing money for ourselves and accumulating stuff. Everyone else is doing it. It's fine. So our culture worships greed. Or so he's greedy. It worships money. So of course the Christian church in this culture is going to be influenced by it. That'd be the first and most obvious reason. Uh, second, I take it, it related. It, therefore, it's very common amongst Christians. And sometimes you need a voice from outside to come in. Uh, we support the Lambrechts, one of our mission partners um, uh, out in Rwanda, uh, teaching in a Bible college. They sent over uh, 18 months ago for a year uh, one of their colleagues to train at a theological college in London, Determine. And uh, whenever I chatted to him and met up with him, he said, I just don't understand how idolatrous your churches are in their pursuit of money. He wasn't just talking about Christchurch. There's lots of churches involved in. He said, I, I just don't understand it. You know, if, if, if someone had a statue of Buddha in their house and bowed down to Buddha, everyone would get very annoyed and irritated with them. If someone said, I'm a Christian, but got out their prayer mat and, and prayed to Allah five times a day, you'd get annoyed with them. And yet everyone seems to be obsessed with money and no one says much about it. What is the problem with you? Sometimes you need that voice from outside to enter your own Christian culture. Oh yeah, well, maybe that's right. So the, the, our culture generally worships money. So secondly, sometimes we lack enough perspective outside of ourselves. The third reason I think is going to be a problem is actually idolatry with money is quite hard to define. Because there's nothing wrong with having money. Money is not the root of all evil, 1 Timothy 6. The love of money is the root of all evil. So how does how do we know when uh, possessing money, and it's fine and in a godly and healthy way, becomes idolatrous obsession with money? How do you know? Well, we'll have to come back to that. The majority of this country serves money, and so will we, unless we hope in something greater. Unless we hope in Jesus Christ... And as he puts it here in, in Matthew 6, unless our treasure is in heaven. We're jumping into the Sermon on the Mount and uh, chapter 6 really uh, is, Jesus is giving us a choice all the way through chapter 6. You have it, this or this. So for the first half of chapter, it's the issue of the rewards. So uh, uh, chapter 6 verse 1, reading me quickly. Be careful not to do your acts of righteousness before men to be seen before them. If you do, you'll have no reward from your Father in heaven. 
Verse 2, I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full now. Verse 1, verse 2, verse 4, verse 5, verse 6, verses 16, verses 18. Jesus says, reward, reward, reward. You have a choice. You can either have your reward now from men, or you can have your reward in heaven from the Lord. Your choice, one is kind of superficial and doesn't last very long. One is from the Lord himself and is eternal. You choose, says Jesus. And he moves from that in the second half, in chapter 6, verses 19 to 24, where we're looking at it predominantly tonight. Money, you choose. Choose who you will follow. Choose who you will serve. Choose where you are rewarded. You can have your treasure now, and you'll lose it. Or you can put your treasure in eternity, and you will never lose it. Your choice. But you've got to choose because no one drifts into godliness. It just doesn't work that way. You have to choose, says Jesus. There's only two paths. And unless you're thinking it through, unless you're active, the culture is just going to force you down the path of covetousness. You've got to choose a path of godliness. So uh, three pictures in just uh, in verses 19 to 24. Three little pictures he gives us. Uh, and at each time there's a choice. Two locations, but you can only love one. There are two eyes, there's only going to be one outcome. There's two masters, you can only be devoted to one. Okay, let's work through them. First then, there are two locations, but you can only love one. Verse 19 of chapter 6. Do not store up for yourselves treasure on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moth and rust do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is... There your heart will also be. Where your treasure is, your love, your affections will be. Two locations, but your heart will be in one of them. Choose. There's a fairly obvious connection, isn't it, verse 21? Where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. Because we always spend money on the things we value. So if uh, in January in London, if you value keeping dry, you spend your money on a decent coat or umbrella. Uh, if you uh, value staying warm at night, you spend your money on rent because it's much nicer to have a roof over your head uh, and so on. If you value going on holiday, you'll save your money and spend your pennies on that. That's how it works. We spend our money on the things we value. If you value the lives of Christian refugees in Syria, you'll probably give some money to some agency like the Barnabas Fund and so on. What we value is where our money goes. It's obvious. But in this case, it's the other way round that Jesus stresses. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be. In other words, where we put our money, our hearts follow. So if you give lots of money towards gospel ministries that concern with the salvation of the lost, then your heart will follow them. If you spend your money on things which last for eternity, then your heart is drawn to eternity. That's how it works. If you find yourself stagnating in the Christian life and think, oh, I, I do not grow, I don't find myself longing to be with the Lord in heaven, just give lots of money away to work the, the, the works that last in eternity. And your heart follows your money says Jesus. It's just obvious. It's how it works. And he uses a good reason to do it that way. Why not store up treasure on earth? I mean, why not gain lots of stuff here and now and have big bank accounts? It's really nice. 
well, it doesn't last. It's not secure. Verse 20. Sorry, verse 19. Do not store up for yourselves treasure on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. I don't know if Jesus is drawing some sort of contrast here. Uh, moth, that's the sort of natural world. Rust takes time. Thieves, they're humans. So actually the wealth we accumulate or the stuff we own, if the natural world doesn't get it, time will take it away or, or, or people will nick it from us. I don't know if he's making that sort of distinction. But he is saying it's not safe. Now often we think money brings us... Well, money can do a number of things. So we think, we think it gives us uh, uh, security. If I've got enough money in the bank account, I'm fine. Status. I can go to these sort of restaurants and people will look up me. Uh, coolness. I can buy the right sort of clothes, hang out with the right sort of places and the right sort of people. A whole number of things. One of the ones he really goes for here is security. That's both uh, here in uh, verse 19 and 20, but also, we're not going to look at it in detail, but the, the, the Verses 19 to 24, you choose to serve God or you serve money. Verse 25, therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you'll eat, drink, or about your body and what you'll wear. Therefore, verse 25, you choose, says Jesus, you either uh, live for money in this world or you live for the Lord Jesus Christ in eternity. And if you choose the latter, you won't be an anxious person. If you choose the former, you will worry Because if you love stuff, someone might take it. Um, Dive example. When I was a student, I think I get a bit confused, uh, uh, but uh, I think it was my second year as a student. I lived in a house with three other lads, uh, 50 Dawlish Road, and it was a dump. We took great pleasure or perverse pride in having the worst house of anyone we knew. It had one redeeming feature. The rent was £22 a week. That's nice, isn't it? It was a few years ago, it's fair to say, and it was, a, it was indeed uh, a complete dump. Um, but uh, we kind of, it had no central heating, or, you, know, was, you know, we froze hats in the winter and lots of duvets and sleeping bags. It was not a very pleasant place. Uh, but, you know, my health hasn't suffered too much. Uh, but um, the security on this place was horrific. You know, the front door, uh, you could sort of breathe on and it would uh, open. Uh, the back door, you only had to sort of cough and it would fall off its hinges. So I remember at Christmas, we thought, well, we're bound to get burgled. Uh, so we left uh, a sign. It was going back a while and uh, everyone in those days used to rent their TV and video from Rumbelows, which no longer exists. And uh, about one person in the room will remember them. Uh, but anyway, so we'd rented our TV and video and stereo and that's what you did in those days. Uh, but anyway, we put a sign on um, on the back, just inside the back door. We arranged a sort of the, the, the tea bags and we put a plate uh, with chocolate biscuits and, and um, cling film on top and wrote a note. Uh, Dear burglar, um, we do hope you haven't uh, exhausted yourself breaking into our house. We think that unlikely. Uh, however, uh, just in case you're feeling tired, uh, do make yourself a cup of tea and uh, obviously uh, uh, there's some biscuits here for you. Uh, please do help yourself to our stuff. You probably will. That's why you've entered the building. Um, but let us just warn you, uh, the TV and video are a bit knackered and don't work very well. Sorry about that. You could do better next door. And uh, yours, the boys from 50 Dawlish Road. Uh, and bizarrely, that was the one holiday that we were there that no one broke in. Um, so we just thought, our great mirth. And we thought, at least we put a smile on this burglar's face and maybe he'd just feel guilty and leave our stuff alone. But, but the point about that, we didn't really care. Yeah, break in and nick our stuff. Who cares? We just, what does it matter? 
It's not worth repairing. Now, I don't own the house I'm in, but the house I'm in at the moment has uh, locks on every window, has a burglar alarm on the wall, goes off at annoying times, sorry to the neighbours. Um, but there's all sorts of security there. Because now we've got stuff that actually we do care about. And we'd be a bit more annoyed about if we lost, so we'd protect it. Apart from you can't. Uh, this is a very mild autumn, and uh, so we didn't bother really with the uh, the woolies until uh, end of November, beginning of December. Uh, so we pulled open the uh, the big drawer at the bottom of the uh, in, uh, in our bedroom with all the woolly jumpers in because we hadn't needed it until end of November. Moths, moths had broken in, and big sort of holes the size of ten p everywhere. And we said, well, "What's this happened?" And we, had, and we tracked down the problem. It was a cupboard in my son's room. We opened it, and all this moth lava fell onto his bed and were crawling around. It was absolutely vile. But in God's providence, it was a perfect illustration of this, <laughs> because we had locks on every door and every window and a burglar alarm on the wall. But still, the moths got the stuff. It's not secure. Everything we own is fleeting and ephemeral and will not last. It just goes. Nothing lasts. And if you care very deeply about the accumulation of stuff, you'll be a worried person. Because it will go. Someone will take it. It will go and disappear. Time will take it. Every... um, uh, every November, uh, we have a thing in our household. Um, when Christmas is coming, okay, we've got to sell some toys. We're going to eBay some toys. Because if new stuff's going coming in, old stuff has got to go. As we have a big sort of discussion about uh, which toys, it is overwhelmingly, it's Lego, uh, gets eBayed, and uh, my nine-year-old, he gets to keep 50%, has to give 50% away, uh, you know, to, uh, um, to gospel work, etc. That's just how, how we work it. But the really striking thing about that is, uh, we, we are quite happy to eBay the Star Wars Lego, whatever it was, and um, you think, yeah, yeah, two years ago, you had to have it or your life wouldn't have been worth living and you were just desperate to get this thing and two years later, yeah, I'll eBay, it's fine. How much do you think we'll get? Oh, not bad. Um, and that's how it is. And us adults are just a little bit better. You have moments of standing in shops and thinking, well, I must have that skirt. I must have that skirt. I must buy, I must buy that jacket. It would look really cool upon me. And... Um, and then a year later, it's at the back of the wardrobe and we forget we've got it. We're not much better than children. Sometimes. It's just a bit of time passes and oh well, that was a waste, getting that thing. It does not last. And so Jesus, that's what he says, verse 25, you don't need to worry if you're not obsessed about stuff because pursuit of wealth and anxiety are intimately connected. Because you're, have I got enough money to be safe? Have I got enough clothes to look cool? Obviously not personally. Have I, um, have I got enough to impress? Them? Have I got enough to be able to keep up with them? If you're on the path of materialism, you'll always, always worry. Don't worry, says Jesus. Just don't be materialistic. Choose. There are two locations. You can invest now or you can invest in eternity. You can only love one of them. Your heart can only be in one place. You can't be divided. Choose, he says. Two locations, one love. Second thing, uh, slightly tricky, I think. Two eyes, one outcome. Let me explain that. 
verse 22, 23. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Now that's not Jesus' clearest um, uh, little metaphor, I don't think. Uh, so the commentators come down, the lamp of the body, if your eyes are good, it has probably a sense of generous. That's certainly how the latest NIV translation goes. I think that's probably okay. If your eyes are generous, your whole body will be full of light. If your eyes are stingy or uh, obsessed with selfish accumulation, that's the sort of sense of it. It's not normal, not the common word you'd use Greek for good and bad. Um, your whole body will be full of darkness. So I think that's what he's saying. It's a sort of generosity versus selfish accumulation with your eyes. But what is very clear is how binary it is again. Your body is either full of light or full of darkness. Jesus says, if you're generous, you'll see this world clearly. If you're obsessed with selfish accumulation, you're stumbling around in the dark. Your vision is not clear. You are not seeing the world rightly. Striking, isn't it? Uh, back in the summer, we stayed uh, we were on holiday. We stayed with some friends. About thirty-six hours into staying with them, um, there was a power cut, and um, I was the last one up at night, and sort of stumbling around and uh, treading on things and smashing things, uh, mainly Lego toys. They got children of similar age, um, and uh, so it wasn't enormously popular. But you think it's quite interesting because I kind of knew the layout of the house, but not well enough to avoid treading on things and breaking things. And this. Jesus says you can stumble around in darkness quite quickly. You can be a Christian for a number of years and kind of know all these things to be true and and know the layout of the Christian life and yet still stumble in darkness, not see things very clearly if you're wanting a selfish accumulation. It's a striking picture. It can come come, come on you quite quickly, I think. Last May, my uh, in-laws very generously took the whole family on holiday. It had been planned uh, for a number of years, gather the whole clan and uh, take us all away. Never done it before, never do it again. Um, uh, that was said beforehand, not afterwards, but it was certainly said afterwards. But uh, I never do it before, never do it. But it was just a sort of once in a lifetime. Let's take the whole family away. And my father-in-law paid for, for most of it. It was very, very generous. We stayed in Crete on the nicest hotel I've ever stayed in. Uh, everything it was the food was magnificent, everything about it was very high uh, spec and I sat there uh, under my uh, sun lounger, uh, looking out at this stunning view of the med and this tall ship uh, sort of docking and docking i don 't know mooring and then going off again, uh, and thinking, I need more of this. this is what I need in my life. I need more holidays like this. I require more money to have more holidays like this to make my life go better. And then you sort of have that, you know, I, you, I got into that pattern of thought for probably a couple of days until something clicks in your head and you go, no, no. Observe this idyllic holiday, squabbling amongst family members, irritation taking place, sin still residing uh, within. Uh, ob- observe this holiday will end and normal life returns and your life is not transformed by one week's holiday, even if you do it several times a year. Don't be an idiot. It doesn't transform your life. But very quickly you can start stumbling. I think. It's not hard. All of a sudden you think, I just need more stuff. Money's very much like salt water. You want to drink, 
great, but you drink salt water, you just need more and more. Uh, when I was, a, uh, I remember being a schoolboy and um, we used to sit in the background chemistry lessons, was never very good at chemistry, I know some of you are brilliant, but I wasn't. Uh, and we had two competitions, we slightly alternated, one was distilled water, we'd have distilled water days in double chemistry, we'd uh, gather as many distilled water um, uh, containers as possible and have a competition, how many of them we could drink before one of us needed the loo and see if we could get through a double period. Uh, that was okay, I was quite good at that one. Uh, the other competition was the brine competition. Uh, and how much of the, how many brine containers could we drink before we just desperately had to drink some other water? Because it's foul. Salt water does not satisfy your thirst. Uh, I did pass my GCSE, by the way. Um, not with a good mark, but I did pass it, just about. The um, salt water doesn't satisfy. You know, G.K. Chesterton observes, you know, there, there are two ways to have enough money. One is to earn more, the other is to need less require less things, fewer things. But he's not really right. I mean, the second is true. You think, I haven't got enough money. Just shop more cheaply. Oh, I've got enough money now. Brilliant. But I need more money. It never satisfies. No one ever thinks they've got enough money. Always want a little bit more. There are two eyes, says Jesus. One is generous. One is concerned with selfish accumulation. But the outcome is binary. Dark light or darkness? You can't have more than one outcome. Two eyes, one outcome. Last thing, uh, two locations, excuse me, two masters, but one devotion. Choose. Here's the strongest bit, I think, of the whole passage. Verse 24. No one can serve two masters. Either he'll hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Money, uh, literally the word uh, mammon, could be possessions. You cannot serve both God and possessions. You cannot serve both God and money. You can have them both, but you cannot serve them both. And most people in this room think, I'm not sure Jesus is right. Because I, 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 many of us say, I'm a Christian, but, but money is great, and I think about it a reasonable amount. Is that really true? Jesus said, again, it's binary, choose. But here for me is the question, and I have to be honest, I find this deeply searching as a question. How do I know which one I'm serving? Matt Fuller, what evidence is there in your life that makes it obvious to you that you are serving God and not serving money? And I personally find that a very troubling question. You may not. I try to break it down for myself uh, into uh, slightly smaller questions to try and make, help diagnose it. So here's three. One, am I distinctive? Am I distinctive? If I'm a Christian and my lifestyle is uh, no different from my non-Christian friends, who do I serve? If I spend the same sort of money on holidays and clothes and going out as those who aren't following Christ, well, I'm probably serving the same God as them if there's no difference. If I'm not distinctive in my use of money, that unsettles me, I think. Maybe it's I serve material and materialism first, 
And Jesus gets what's left. I don't know. Am I distinctive? Here's a second question. Am I making sacrifices? Of course, the New Testament doesn't give us some. It'd be so lovely if, uh, you know, in the Old Testament, uh, although there are multiple tithes adding up to about 33%, you could keep, keep, keep it simple and just say, um, you just got to tithe and give 10% of your income away. And if Jesus said that, it would be so easy, wouldn't it? Jesus, how do I know if I'm, that I'm serving you and not money? If you give 10% of your money away to the gospel work, then you're serving me. Brilliant, and I've got an objective standard. It doesn't do that. It's kind of annoying at any point. What are the New Testament principles? That generosity and sacrifice. That's what they are. It comes repeatedly. Some of you would have looked at Philippians, Philippians 4. You get, you get those two. Or, or perhaps the simplest, bluntest text, 2 Corinthians uh, 8 verse 9. You know the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, he became, excuse me, that though he was rich for your sakes, he became poor. So that you through his poverty might become rich. He sacrificed generously. Therefore, Paul says, go and do likewise to the Corinthians. Generosity and sacrifice are the marks. Am I making sacrifices? Uh, someone at the five o'clock said to me, uh, uh, he says, yes, it's very interesting. I am, um, quite often I want to buy something for work. I don't need it. 50 quid, 100 quid. I see something and think, oh, it'd be quite useful for my, uh, for my work. And I'll just buy it. I never assume, I never ask the question, do I need it? I just think, oh, at some point it will probably be useful, so I just buy it because I like toys that kind of might one day help me with my work. But it comes to things like, you know, an appeal. I see something like, you know, these, these Christians in Syria are in trouble or, or, you know, should I give more at church? And I think, well, I have to sit down and think really very hard about that and probably decide that I can't do it. There's probably something wrong there. Yeah, possibly. That's right. Am I making sacrifices that matter? And you've got to start young, let me warn you. It does not become easier to give increasing sums of money away as you get older. It does not. It does not. Because actually often the gap, certainly for, for, for us in our 40s now, the gap between us and our non-Christian friends and their income just grows as we give away. It just becomes harder. It's much easier when you're students in your 20s. It gets harder, actually just to encourage you, uh, as it were. Am I distinctive? Am I making sacrifices? Third question. What is my ambition with money? Two paths here. The path of the world. A. What I expect to happen, I expect as I get older that my life becomes more comfortable. As I move from my 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, I just have nicer possessions, nicer boots, nicer clothes, nicer car. I shop in nicer food shops. I expect as I get older, my life becomes more comfortable. And that's my hope and ambition. Path B, let me suggest a path of Christian maturity. I expect as I get older that I will have less and less disposable income year on year because I give more and more away. If this year, after all my bills are paid and uh, uh, my budget, I have, whatever, £500 over at the end of each month, I expect next year to 400 And when I'm 50, 300, I want less disposable income year on year per month. I don't know many people who go that path, actually. You've got to choose it. Because path A is what the world expects, just for life to become more and more comfortable. But you know the killer is your goal reveals your God. That's true in most 
things. You could sit there and think, for 2015, my goals are, and how you finish that sentence, that reveals your God. Your goal reveals your God. If your goal is just to grow in comfort, that is your God. If your goal is to be ever more generous, to invest ever more into eternity, to live off less and less as you get older, Jesus is your God. Those are three I thought of. Am I distinctive? Am I making sacrifices? What is my ambition? Let me repeat. I find those deeply unsettling questions. They trouble me. But that's because I live in a materialistic culture that's obsessed with accumulation of stuff. And I need to be warned. There is little nuance to Jesus' words. And human hearts have not changed. We need his bluntness. Where is your treasure? Where do you want your reward? Store up your treasure in heaven. It cannot rust. It cannot be stolen. It cannot fade. Invest in Jesus Christ. The money is secure. The returns are phenomenal. They last forever. Invest with him. I was struck, um, just before Christmas, uh, a friend of mine had a significant birthday, which in my language is a birthday with a zero at the end. And um, so it was dinner, 20-odd of us uh, had dinner one evening to celebrate it. Well, it's 50, what does it matter? The uh, Christian guy. And um, uh, after the meal, we all just went around the table and uh, took it in turns to say what we loved about him and what we valued as a, about him as a Christian, how he'd encouraged us as a Christian. And we went around the table and, went around, and the last three were his uh, grown-up adult children. And as we went around the table, it's a very un-British thing to do, really. Um, I don't know whose idea it was. Uh, we went around the table. Uh, actually, it was very moving. Very moving. Because you're not often in your life do you hear that. People just relentlessly saying, you know, I really cherish this about you. And, and so everyone was quite emotional about it. And they got to his three kids, you know, whatever, mid-twenties. And just didn't tears everywhere I think not from me but you know the um no it was tears everywhere and afterwards I said to him you know and he's a, he's a great guy um who uh hasn't been, had the easiest time financially he's skint he's had to borrow money to pay the mortgage which at his age he's been embarrassing I said to him you know you You've had some money troubles, but I sat there this evening and thought, you're one of the richest men I know. And he said, yes, I am. And who cares if I've got less money now than I had 10 years ago? Because what I've heard this evening, no one can ever take away. He's invested in people's lives as a Christian. And it'll last forever. Now, he's enjoying that. How great the reward he'll get from his Lord and Master when he meets him. Invest your treasure for eternity. Cannot lose. Put it there. We're going to sing, I think, at some point in the next block of songs. Immortal honours rest on Jesus' head. I don't need to put it on the screen, but we sing when we get to that song, I don't want to be overly distracting to you, but you look up and see the words, my every need he richly will supply, nor will his mercy ever let me die. You could just, if it's possible to do two things at once, you could just substitute Jesus for the word money in your head. And you see how ridiculous that looks.
My every need, money will supply. Really? Your emotional needs? Nor will money's mercy ever let me die. Has money ever been merciful to you? Will money save you for eternity? It will not. In money there dwells a treasure all divine. You're joking, aren't you? You just want more and more of it. A matchless grace of money has given me more money. It just doesn't, it obviously is ridiculous. Don't live for money. Choose, says Jesus. If, if you know where you're going, if you know you belong in eternity with the Lord Jesus Christ, invest there and your heart is drawn there and enables you to live much more freely and anxiety free here and now. Have your treasure in heaven and serve the Lord Jesus now. Let me lead us in prayer. Our great God and Father, we uh, thank you that you give us the words we need. Thank you for the bluntness of these words. Uh, Father, for myself, I have no desire to make either me or or anyone else feel uh, aimlessly guilty and burdened. Father, would your spirit do his work rightly when there is need for repentance? Would we do so? Rejoice in our forgiveness and live joyful but changed lives in how we use our money. Uh, Father, please don't leave us merely burdened. Change us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.